Our speaker today is Jeff Gerard. Jeff is an assistant professor of anthropology at Northwestern State University. His research interests are the late prehistory of the southeastern and southern plains and Indians and human settlement patterns. He is the Northwest Louisiana's regional archaeologist for the state of Louisiana Division of Archaeology. In that position, he conducts archaeological field excavations right here in Caddo and Bossier parishes and is a consummate public archaeologist. He is an in-demand speaker and presenter across the region for Louisiana Archaeology Month in October and with the Louisiana Archaeological Society Northwest Chapter, he prepares members of the public to effectively assist in archaeology research. As you will see, he makes the discipline enjoyable and understandable to the public. Well, thank you, Pam, and, and thanks, everybody, for having me here today. I've, um, uh, something I don't normally do, the kind of audience, but uh, this has been a, a little bit of a challenge, but I've, I look forward to it. Um, when first visited by the French and Spanish explorers in the 17th century, um, as Pam mentioned earlier, uh, Louisiana was the home to the Caddo people. Um, and research has demonstrated continuity in Caddo lifeways, economic systems, artistic styles, and other aspects of uh, Caddo culture. They have d demonstrated continuity going back at least 800 years. So we have a Caddo cultural tradition that began in the 9th or 10th century AD and continued up into the early 19th century. And also, as, as Pam mentioned to the, the children, um, Caddo culture continues today in the, in the form of the Caddo Nation. Uh, Caddo folks number over 4,000, and they live in western, a little west of Oklahoma City near the town of Binger. Um, I'm not going to talk this morning about the spirituality or anything of the modern Caddo people. Um, as you can imagine, with 4,000 people, uh, there's quite a bit of diversity. Uh, some Caddos today are members of what is known as the Native American Church. Uh, others uh, have various forms of Catholicism and Protestant Christianity religions, and uh, they mix uh, traditional beliefs into that in various ways. So there's, there's quite a diversity. Um, but rather, what I'm going to uh, do today is talk about two uh, traditional Caddo stories. Uh, the first that explains the origins of the Caddos as a people. And the second looks at the beginning of what, are, what was known as Caddy Ayo. Caddy Ayo was a uh, primary deity of the Caddos in the 18th century. And that's a very interesting story as well. Uh, but to begin with, I think I'll, I'll, I'll talk to make this more meaningful, put it into context. I'm going to give you a little background on Caddo culture and the Caddo people. The Caddo, what we call the Caddo cultural area, encompasses much of the woodland areas west of the lower Mississippi Valley, south of the Ozarks. And uh, that includes, as, as Pam uh, told the children, portions of northwest Louisiana, southwest Arkansas, southeastern Oklahoma, and northeastern Texas. Uh, the Caddos were never a unified group of people until after the Civil War, until the late 19th century. Uh, there were just various Caddo groups that were spread out into this large area. Um, 
basically there were three big clusters of Caddo groups. One, known as the Caddo Adacho, from which we get the name Caddo, lived basically in this area and then north to what we call the Great Bend region around Texarkana, where the Red River makes that large bend. They were spread up here in the Red River. Uh, another group lived down in the Natchitoches area, and that included the, the historic Natchitoches people as well as the Dustioni group, uh, the Adai. You might have heard of the uh, Caddo Adai. There's still some people who trace their uh, genealogy back to the Caddos that live in the Robeline area and some other smaller groups that were in that area. These folks may have splintered down from the Caddo Adacho at one time. They weren't particularly numerous. In this area, we had a group known as the Yadasi that lived in the, the, the Shreveport area. They eventually got pushed over into DeSoto Parish. Um, and then the third group of people were the Hassanai. And the Hassanai lived in eastern Texas along the Natchez and Angelina River Valleys. Uh, uh, I should mention the, the Hassanai refer to themselves um, as friends, and their, their word for friends was Taisha, uh, usually rendered T-A-Y-S-H-A, Taisha. Of course, when the Spanish rendered that in their documents, the long A sound, the Te in Spanish, was, was spelled with an E, and the Sh uh, sound in uh, 18th century Spanish was with an X. So when they, when they pluralized that, it came out T-E-X-A-S, and that's where, uh, you might, as you might know, we get the word uh, Texas. Um, linguistically, talking about language, uh, the, the, you might find the word Caddo used in a, a rather different way. The, the Caddo spoke basically a similar language, all these little groups down here, uh, but there's a bigger Caddo language family, and that includes a lot of groups that lived on the eastern portion of the Great Plains, including the Wichita, and even farther north, there were the Pawnee, who lived in, in Nebraska and Oklahoma. And then even farther north, the Arikara, who now uh, in historic times were in South Dakota. Uh, so even though the Caddo as a people and their culture faced to the east, they were very much like southeastern groups, their language family is part of a more western plains type of group. We don't really understand why that is. Um, as Pam mentioned, the, the Caddo's lived in settled villages. They didn't live in teepees. They had sort of grass hut house, circular houses. Uh, they grew crops, uh, including uh, corn and pumpkins, and a bunch of oily and starchy seed crops that we now think of as just weeds, things that have horrible names like sumpweed and pigweed. They're uh, actually uh, closely related to ragweed, but they did have oily and starchy seeds that uh, were nutritious. Uh, the only type we still do eat, mostly as a snack, are, um, anybody know? Sunflowers. Sunflower is very important as well. Uh, they had a very rich material culture. They were particularly known for their pottery, which was uh, some of the best stuff is polished and engraved, and sometimes they, read, they rubbed pigment into it. It's very beautiful pottery. Um, uh, also known for their bows, the, the French word uh, bodark. You might have heard bodark tree, these little Osage orange trees with these lumpy green apples. Uh, that's incredible bow wood, and the Caddo's uh, had a, sort of a monopoly on that and traded these bows all over the place. Uh, in terms of their social structure, uh, each community had a leader called a caddy, C-A-D-D-I, and various lesser officials. Uh, important decisions seem to have been made by a council of elders 
with the caddy uh, having a great deal of influence and being sort of the executive branch carrying out uh, uh, the rules. Uh, but they also had a, a, a revered spiritual leader known as a Shinesi, and that's often spelled X-I-N-E-S-I. And the Shinesi uh, probably had authority over various communities, several communities at once. And we're not really sure about the rules or, or how much he got into secular political affairs. It doesn't seem much. He was mostly a spiritual leader. And his main job was to keep the sacred fire. In a, there was a, something called a fire temple. And there was a perpetual fire that had to be kept burning. And it was his job to, to keep that going. Uh, communities were organized into extended family units. And uh, the kinship systems of the Caddo were what we refer to as matrilineal. In other words, instead of like we do, uh, we sort of render our kinship through both our father and our mother, they emphasized the mother. Your father's relatives were just sort of peripheral. Uh, everything went through the mother. And it is even possible that they had sort of a matrilocal type of uh, organization where uh, when a couple got married, they resided with the mother's family rather than on, on, on the father's family. Uh, and, uh, you know, even in some matrilocal societies of Native Americans in the southeast, they, um, uh, the uh, sort of the authority figure in the family and the, the person who raised the children was the maternal uncle. So it would have been your, your mother's brother who was the person who actually ran the family rather than your father. And the father, of course, would be responsible for his uh, sister's kids. So it's a little, little, little different kind of organization. Uh, of course, tremendous changes took place in the 18th century during, uh, due to European colonization, uh, also the movement of other Indian groups into this area, particularly the Osages who came down in the 1700s and really uh, attacked the Caddo's and dispersed them a, a lot. Uh, this also diseases uh, it caused a lot of consolidation of the communities during the 18th century. And of course, you might know that in 1835, the Caddo Treaty was signed, and the Caddo's were moved to the Brazos River in Texas, and eventually up to the area around Binger, Oklahoma, uh, where they now reside. Well, so how did Caddo culture begin? Well, as archaeologists, what I do, we look at the material past and we uh, attempt to trace things such as economy, technology, settlement patterns, and basically the material factors that result in a, a group forming a distinct cultural entity. But of course, there is also a different traditional spiritual perspective on the subject of origins. And that's what I'll focus on this morning. Most of the stories that we have about cattle origins were first recorded in the late 19th century, after many years of contact with Europeans, and devastating changes, as I mentioned, in traditional lifeways. The stories were recorded by anthropologists, talking with a relatively small number of informants. The tales were transcribed in English, but these scholars had some familiarity with the cattle language, and they noted that many of the stories contained songs, as well as poetic subtleties and references to historical figures that unfortunately are now lost and can't be appreciated today. Uh, a story provided by James Mooney, an anthropologist, in 1896 is the best known, and that is what I will read uh, as follows. They, the Caddos, came up from under the ground through the mouth of a cave in a hill, which they call 
Chakanina, the place of crying. It was on a lake close to the south bank of the Red River, just at its junction with the Mississippi. In those days, men and animals were all brothers and all lived together under the ground. But at last they discovered the entrance to the cave leading up to the surface of the earth, and so they decided to ascend and come out. First, an old man climbed up, carrying in one hand fire and a pipe, and in the other, a drum. After him came his wife, with corn and pumpkin seeds. Then followed the rest of the people and the animals. All intended to come out, but as soon as the wolf had climbed up, he closed the hole and shut up the rest of the people and animals under the ground, where they still remain. Those who had come out sat down and cried for a long time for their friends below, hence the name of the place. Because the cattle came out of the ground, they call it Ina, or mother, and they go back to it when they die. Because they have had the pipe and the drum and the corn and pumpkins since they have been a people, they hold fast to these things and have never thrown them away. From this place, they spread out toward the west, following up the course of Red River, along which they made their principal settlements. For a long time, they lived on Caddo Lake, on the boundary between Louisiana and Texas, their principal village on the lake being called Chachildeni, which means Timber Hill. Well, Mooney's informant uh, was only a couple of generations removed from his ancestors who actually lived in the last of the Caddo villages, and we know these from plotting on early survey maps that one was indeed on the north side of, of Caddo Lake along what is now known as James Bayou. The Caddo's only lived there about 30 years, however, after being pushed south uh, from their uh, traditional homeland near Texarkana around the year 1800. Even more interesting in the Mooney story, though, is the reference to their original homeland in the vicinity of the mouth of the Red River, an area what today Voiles Parish near the uh, city of Marksville. Uh, interestingly, the earliest archaeological sites that we consider Caddo contain abundant pottery that appears to have developed initially in that region, and the notion of a migration up Red River is entirely plausible. However, the primary purpose of the Caddo origin story and other Native American stories is not to chronicle the physical historical past, but rather to convey spiritual truths, to pass along through the generations who the cattle people are, how people are connected to one another, and how they are connected to nature. The pipe and drum in the original story, uh, in the origin story, refer to Caddo rituals which involve smoking and which continue to include dances that take place around a central drum. Corn and pumpkins are traditional foods that symbolize the material well-being of the people. And of course, those figured prominently in that story. Well, the, the first people to have close contact with the Caddo's were Spanish missionaries among the Hassanai in eastern Texas. And they were, of course, charged with spreading Christian religious beliefs and weren't particularly interested in learning about the beliefs of the Caddo's. However, they did record interesting information about rituals that they observed, and they were very curious about Caddo belief systems. In the mid-1700s, a father, Espinosa, noted that the Hassanai believed in a powerful god, or Caddy Ayo roughly translated as captain in the sky or captain up above. I remember the word caddy uh, referred to the chiefs of the individual towns as well. 
Uh, Interestingly, however, this male god was not the first supernatural being. The story, transcribed by Father Espinosa, is as follows. They say that in the beginning of the world, there was one woman only who had two daughters, one a maiden, the other not, without their being designated any man by whom either the mother or daughter would have been able to produce. One day, the two sisters were alone, away from the mother. They were attacked, and this is what happened. Suddenly, there appeared a huge, misshapen serpent of ferocious aspect and with horns, whose ends could not be seen. They called him Kadaha, devil or demon. He attacked the pregnant sister, tore her with his claws, chewed her up, and swallowed every bit of her, while the maiden climbed to the top of a very tall tree. When the devil had finished eating her sister, he raised his eyes in search of the maiden to do the same with her. He tried to climb the tree, but, not being able to do so, he began to try to cut down the tree with his teeth and claws. Seeing the danger in which she was placed, the maiden dropped down into a deep hole of water, which was at the foot of the tree, and, diving down into it, came up at a distant spot and escaped to where her mother was. The ugly giant began to suck up the water to drain it away and make a prisoner of the maiden. But she had fooled him and left the place. The maiden told her mother everything that had happened, and together they went to the spot where he had murdered the sister. They searched among the drops of blood which the demon had scattered when he was eating her, and they found a tiny drop of blood in a little acorn shell. They covered it with another half shell. The mother put it in her bosom and carried it home. She put it in a little jar, covered the mouth well, and put it in the corner. At night, she heard a noise, as if the jar were being gnawed. Upon going to examine it, she found that the drop of blood had turned into a boy, as small as one's finger. She covered it again, and the next night, hearing the same sound, she found that he had grown to the stature of a man. She was very much pleased and at once made him a bow and arrows. He asked for his mother. They told him how the devil had eaten her, and he set out to seek him. When he found him, he hit him so hard with the point of his arrow that the devil never appeared again. He returned then to his grandmother and his aunt and told them that it was not good to stay on earth, and he ascended with them to Kachayo Ayo, which they call the sky. And there he has been ever since, governing the world. This is the first god they recognize and worship. They believe that he will reward or punish them for the good or evil they have done. Uh, Many of you probably have read the works of uh, Joseph Campbell, who passionately argued for the importance and the power of myths and traditional stories. If you haven't read Joseph Campbell, you should. (laughs) Uh, Campbell noted four ways that these stories function. Uh, First is to convey a mystery. As you listen to these stories, you probably noted gaps and logical discrepancies. These are important parts of mythology, however. The intent is not to present a narrative history of past physical events, but to provide a sense of wonder about human experience. The second function of the stories is cosmological. The horned serpent figure in the Cadi Ayo story goes back to prehistoric times and was frequently depicted on engraved shell and even some pottery. The figure uh, is known as a piazza, was, along with a body of associated beliefs, prevalent throughout the southeastern Indian nations as well as in Mesoamerica. Uh, 
Piecing together symbolic elements on prehistoric artifacts and traditional stories of various groups leads scholars to believe that the Native Americans had a notion of the cosmos as separated into three realms, an above world, a middle world, and an underworld. A central axis connected these levels, and it often took the form of a sacred pole in ritual uh, dance grounds. Each tier was the realm of separate deities, with some, such as the serpent, having the ability to travel between worlds. On the cover of the Order of Service, there's an artistic depiction of these three worlds. Uh, a lot of scholars, uh, both Native American scholars, um, folklorists, archaeologists, and others have been looking at the symbolism across the southeast in recent years and the iconography and trying to piece together all these stories and seeing how, how unified they are across the, the land. But you can see the horned serpent and the, the, the axis and the, the three worlds on there. Well, a third purpose of the story is to reflect and reinforce aspects of Caddo social structure. It is important, for example, that the Caddy Ayo ascends to the upper world and resides there with his grandmother and aunt. Recall the matrilineal structure of the Caddo society. The final aspect of myth noted by Campbell is to pass down through the generations a system of morals and ethics, of right and wrong, the need to face and defeat evil. The heroics of the Kadi Ayo in conquering the devil and ascending to the upper world in a role as judge has parallels in other Native American legends, as well as, of course, in a traditional Christian mythology. The two Caddo stories are filled with a rich set of symbols which provide fascinating insights, I think, into Caddo society and belief systems. And there are many other Caddo stories, as well as other Southeastern uh, Native American groups that are available in published forms. And uh, I encourage everybody uh, to take a look at them because uh, they're they're very well worth reading, especially if you get some background on the societies from which uh, they were were produced. uh, maybe not as exciting as watching the, the Packers defeat the Steelers this afternoon, but uh, uh, fun anyway. Um, that's it. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.